Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilpa, joined by my co-host, Nick Polak. Nick, what's going on? Not, not a lot. I'm glad to be back after missing the recap episode of Michigan State, though it was sufficiently silly without me, so yes. I guess that's all right. Yeah, so uh, is there anything to talk about this week? Uh, I don't know. How about the Big Ten Championship? If you insist. As we all know, of course, by now, Penn State and Wisconsin are heading to Indy. The two teams are going to play one another in the Big Ten Championship game at Lucas Oil Field. The number seven, Nittany Lions, taking on the number six, Badgers. We're going to break this game down a little bit. What does Wisconsin do well? How do they get to this point? Because uh, if you go back and listen to some of the things Nick and I said at the beginning of the season, we're both, uh, neither of us expected Wisconsin to be in this position. So, how did they get here? What did they like? How does Penn State win this game? Things like that. And while Nick and I can talk about Wisconsin for a little, we figured it would be good uh, to go out and get someone who knows the Badgers a little bit better than we do. Uh, so Nick made a few phone calls. We managed to get Jake. And Jake, I apologize for what I'm about to do to this, even though you told me what it was a minute ago. Kokorowski. There we go. Yes, I got Love it. That site manager over. At uh, Bucky's fifth quarter, the excellent SB Nation Wisconsin site. Jake, how you doing, man? Doing great, man. It's uh, doing doing well. Uh, apologies on my voice if I sound a little coarse. It's a when you have three kids and illnesses tend to Oof. arise. Apparently, uh, your voice decides to go out a little bit here and there. But no, I'm doing well. It actually gives me a, a deeper voice compared to what I okay. normally have, so I kind of <laughs> like it. So, you know, I can't sing my normal voice to men, but I can be that fourth <laughs> voice to men that always talks in the background, like, baby, I'm sorry, you know, like stuff like that. Like, I do that on my songs now. So, yeah. uh, but but no, thanks for having me on, man. This is great. Yeah, not a problem. I was going to say, when, when, when we did the National Signing Day uh, Google Hangout, I guess like a year ago, uh, Jake was on when we talked about the Big Ten West, and every time he wasn't talking, he made sure to mute himself because there were two crying children in the room with him. <laughs> oh, uh, my guess is that, like, Grovich is going to listen to this podcast and just start applauding him, so that'll be fun. Uh, and also something that I imagine is probably pretty fun uh, for our Wisconsin brethren is the fact that, you know, they're even in this position. Like Nick and I said, coming into this year, uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't find too many people – who thought that Wisconsin was going to be playing for the Big Ten championship game. Uh, I think the thing from the beginning of the season that stood out, one was there were some serious uh, questions at quarterback. Uh, Bart Houston was stepping in for uh, Joel Stave, who uh, graduated after enrolling at the school in 2001. Uh, <laughs> we knew he could maybe play a little, but we weren't 100% sure. Uh, and if we knew one thing was that he was going to be uh, we'd find out pretty quickly because the team's schedule in the first two months of the season included LSU, a trip to Michigan State, a trip to Michigan, game against Ohio State, a trip to Iowa, and a game against Nebraska. One of the toughest schedules, I, it may have been the toughest schedule in college football at, before the season, before we learned things like LSU was all, going to fire Les Miles and Michigan State was a raging tire fire. So, Jake, let me ask you, like, Coming into this season, did you think this team was going to be able to make it to the Big Ten title game? I think they had a chance. It was plausible just due to the fact that the Big Ten West, there weren't uh, – you had your Nebraska, you had Iowa, which was coming off its hot year last year, 
And they, they returned C.J. Beathard and Desmond King, and it, it sounded like they had some great leadership there uh, and their schedule, too. They only had Michigan, really, in that the, the crossover divisional games. And so you thought Iowa, this with their who came back and, and what they'd be able to do, we thought that they may run the table. Nebraska is going to improve underneath Mike Riley, uh, which they did this season. And so Wisconsin, it, it was really due to that schedule where a lot of people thought that this team would be a lot better than the 2015 team. Even that was the the defense last year with Joe Schobert, who's now playing for the Cleveland Browns, who, you know, like that team was at 13.7 points per game, led the nation in scoring defense. And granted that offense was still a a patchwork with a young offensive line and and no Corey Clement for the most of the season. But uh, many thought that they'd be better this year. But due to that schedule, like you mentioned, you had the Tigers, you had, uh, you're dealing with the Spartans, you're dealing with the Wolverines, you know, first two games of the conference season on the road, a bye week, and then you have to hit at home against Ohio State, on the road against Iowa, and then back home for Nebraska. I mean, those first five conference games, they could have been, you know, easily 0-5, 1-4, and 2-3. And, and this team really stepped up and, uh it was plausible, you know, if something would happen in, in, in this team, we, we knew the characters that were there. It was, they're disciplined. They, they bought into Paul Chris system. Uh, and you, you listen to all the players talk about it. There's a maturity there. There's only 12 season, seniors, 13 were, uh, including a, a redshirt junior were honored on senior day last Saturday, but every one of them talk about how they take one game at a time. They, and, and they'll celebrate. They have a 24 hour rule. And then, like that Sunday after, they hit it back and they they go on to the next game. And the discipline that they've had, I mean, they could make the Big Ten West, you know, win the Big Ten West division and make it to the championship game. A lot of people thought that, but a lot of things would have had to go on their way. But this team's proven, uh, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, that they carried that talent and they that discipline and the work ethic they have carried it to where they're now at, which, you know, like Penn State, within one game of a Big Ten conference championship, they are literally on, you know, one step away, two steps away from the college football playoff. Like Penn State, just two or three away from from clinching a berth there if if Team Chaos arrives uh, later on, if, if Clemson and Washington can fall, that's only going to help both teams cause and whoever wins that game, that conference championship game. So, uh, long story short, I don't, you know, people thought that they, they could make it, how well they've done and how close they are to the playoff. I would say people would think you'd be a little crazy, uh, just based off that schedule that was, you know, on paper so taunting, uh, you know, right before the season started. Interesting. Uh, just real quick, and you don't need to really expand on this, but it sounds like you think if Wisconsin wins this game, they're going to be in the playoff. Is that accurate, or did I you guys know, days off for a second? Well, no. It's, I I think they have a chance, and okay. here, but here's here's the reason. But I call it Team Chaos Theory because I really feel Clemson, and you have to have Washington lose. I, I mean, people One are going to talk about. One of the two, or I mean, even some both. Talk, there's talk about Michigan staying, you know, in in that top four, which I mean, you can talk about the 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 fourth down, you know, in overtime about you know between <laughs> in, in the game on Saturday. But I mean, really, it's a 
I, I, I really, I mean, the Big Ten champion should represent, but the way that Ohio State's played this year, I know that Penn State, uh, you know, upset them right after they played the Badgers, but am I, you know, I think Clemson stays because of the one loss. Washington would too, despite the strength of schedule. I mean, Clemson almost lost to NC State. I mind you, if the kicker didn't botch the chip shot field goal too. So yeah. I mean, there's there there could be a shot that Virginia Tech has. I don't. I think Clemson will take it. Uh, and, and they'll make it into the playoff. And I, I think Washington has a really good shot against Colorado, though. Yeah. You know, the Buffaloes, look at them and what they've done. Um, but if both teams lose, I think that's when, you know, you'll really note that a Michigan or a Wisconsin could jump into that, uh, into the fold. I mean, if Clemson and Washington win, the Big Ten champion will go to the Rose, Rose Bowl, in my opinion. And, yeah. and that's, you know, it's a great consolation, quote unquote, in quotes, consolation, because, you know, Pasadena, that, that's you know for the Big Ten, <laughs> their fans, that, that that's Graceland, that's their their whole, where the Holy Grail is. That's you know, growing up as a kid in, in Milwaukee, watching the 1999 1994 Rose Bowl, you know for the first time when the Badgers get gone there for the first time in thirty some odd years, like you you know the tradition there, and so I think the Big Ten champion, you know, will go to the Rose Bowl. However, if one of those teams lose, Clemson or Washington. That could open it up for the Big Ten champion and, and being the best. I mean, let's just let me know if you guys agree. I mean, this, yeah. I think this is the best yeah. conference, you know, in the nation this year. And you have four teams in the top seven in the college football playoff ranking. This is yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say I don't yeah. think it could be the best because Purdue and Rutgers are here, but definitely the most, <laughs> at the at the top it is definitely the best. I, I will absolutely cape for that uh, all year. And yeah, like having the Rose Bowl is. Uh, as a backup plan for the winner, if they don't make the playoffs, not bad. Uh, let's actually get into this team a little bit. Uh, I think that by this point in human history, we know what Wisconsin is going to be. They're going to play some really great defense, third nationally in defensive S&P+, 17th in defensive rushing S&P+, 9th in defensive passing S&P+. We'll talk about the defense in a second, but the thing that really sticks out to me, the run game, 53rd. In offensive S&P Plus, Corey Clement has been pretty solid this year, about four yards a carry, uh, almost 1,150 yards, 13 touchdowns. There's some depth there at running back. But the thing that really sticks out to me is that passing offensive passing S&P Plus number, 12th in the nation, Alex Hornerbrook. Um, I, I don't think you can find a single person who saw this coming out of him. He hasn't, you know... He hasn't lit the world on fire, but he's been able, I ain't saying get the job done under Celsius a little bit, but he's gotten the job done for this team. What has he been able to do to, I mean, help the Badgers get to the place where they're one of the 12 best passing offenses in the country per S&P Plus? Right, and, and it's it's interesting. Now, Hornerbrook, let me just say, too, uh, we're going to find out more tomorrow during Paul Chris' press conference, probably yeah. around 3 o'clock, if he's going to play or not. Hornerbrook took a hit. Uh, some call it a late hit. I would say it probably was because the Minnesota player was about had one or two steps uh, that he probably could have taken to advert that. But uh, Hornerbrook, it looked like a, a head injury. They called it a head injury. He's questionable, though. Uh, Jeff Petrikas from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel had you know reported that Hornerbrook did practice uh, on Saturday on uh, Tuesday. So um, you know, there's good signs that he'll be playing we'll get the final word probably i would say tomorrow 
if not, it might be a game time decision. We'll see how that goes. But you know, the reason why Bart Houston was taking you know, it was uh, more in a reduced role. They're doing a, a platoon basically now between Hornerbrook and Houston. Uh, but the reason why Houston, a fifth year senior, uh, highly touted elite eleven quarterback out of California uh, in his prep career, uh, basically in that third game against Georgia State, he couldn't move the ball. Uh, in terms of the third down conversions, they were three of nine uh, in that category against, uh, you know, Georgia State. Also, their red zone opportunities. Now, they weren't his fault. They should have had 10 more points on the board, uh, in my opinion, due to the fact. But uh, a goal line fumble by Bradrick Shaw and a missed 30-yard field, field goal by Rafael Gaglianoni uh, made it a 6 nothing game at halftime. So they needed a spark. Hornerbeck comes in, moves the chains, converts the red zone opportunities. And that's where the week after Michigan against Michigan State, he made his first start. And you saw that he could move the ball on third down through the air. He had a – and also convert the red zone opportunities uh, into points. But you're also looking at the fact that uh, he has a nice deep ball on that. He has a nice – the ability to put a nice touch – on the deep, on those deep passes to his receivers, you haven't seen that a lot lately, and he's supposed to be a little bit more accurate than than Houston. Now, I will say this: they, you know, ever since you know the those the Iowa game, Houston came in uh, and led a scoring drive, uh, and they've started to utilize him more since then. Both quarterbacks struggled against Nebraska, right? And, and so they both threw key interceptions in the fourth quarter that could have doomed the Badgers if not for that defense, but this team, you know, like they, you know, the quarterbacks, you know, they, they rely on both of them. Hornerbrook, like I said, he has that poise. He's only a redshirt freshman. He's a Southpaw. Uh, and he has that ability to be a little bit more accurate at times. But let me just say, you know, Houston's looked really good in the past few games and uh, he has an NFL caliber arm. It's a, it's a, it's a cannon uh, against Akron. You saw that where he zipped, the pass the Jazz PV for a 34-yard score that looked like it should have been either picked or deflected at the very least, and it gets through, and PV just brings it in for a touchdown. It was a great pass on his part. But, uh, you know, especially, like, against Purdue, in that second quarter when he came in, he led a team, you know, the Badgers on a scoring drive, uh, had a couple of great screen passes, and then, you know, T.J. Watt deflects and gets that, uh, pick six against Purdue, and then they that have was like, awesome. it was an impressive play, uh, and it, it shades of his brother. Uh, Another one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so you have, uh, but he led four offensive scoring drives in that quarter, which broke open the game. Uh, and against Minnesota, Houston comes in, and and, and things happen. Uh, you know, uh, he led them on their first scoring drive, and then. Um, you know, once the turnover started piling against Minnesota, they took advantage of them. And Houston's been able to convert that way, where he's been able to convert those opportunities into points. And he's looked like the better quarterback of late, in my opinion. Uh, and it's it's interesting to see if if Georgia State doesn't happen, if they actually get 10 more points on the board, if actually Houston continues to start uh, at East Lansing, but that's neither here nor there. But, uh, you know, Hornerbrook, he brings a lot to the table. He's only going to get better. He's a future yeah, of the position. But we'll see what transpires from that, what goes, uh, you know, what happens uh, on Saturday. But honestly, uh, Houston, uh, he showed a maturity and, and even just some patience in the pocket. 
Uh, there was a pass in Minnesota where he stayed in the pocket. He didn't fret. He made his reads, and he zipped it in there for a nice 22-yard gain to Quintez Cephas that a lot of people took notice of, of like, yeah, he stayed in the pocket. He didn't rush it, He uh, and he made a play. And he also brings a little bit more mobility, I would say, Houston does. He they Granted, if Hornerbrook's injured, I don't think they're going to run him much. But they've run a couple of read option looks from him. Uh, they've he's been able to scramble and has a little bit more mobility compared to the southpaw. So uh, it'll be interesting to see who actually, you know, takes you know who's under center come Saturday, uh, and it should be uh, it should be interesting. Cool. So uh, we know you have to go, <clears throat> but Here, let's, let's keep going. It's all good. Don't worry. Oh, about lovely. Lovely. All right. So conversely, so we just talked a lot about the offense and there's a far lot more going on with the quarterback situation than I realized. But um, so flipping to the other side, the easy answer to this question is everything, but what is it exactly that makes this Wisconsin defense so good? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a combination of everything. It's not being a cop out. It's a, the fact that this team, you know, everyone knew it was going to be a solid front seven, right? Uh, you, you had what, seven or eight returning starters there. The only one that you were losing where it was Schobert, and, and you had three starting inside linebackers, essentially. Uh, two of them now that are injured, which is uh, did not bode well. People thought it wouldn't bode well, uh, and, and team, you know, the players have stepped up huge uh, it, you know, in the depth chart. But uh, it, it goes to the fact that this team, it's a d- disciplined defense. Justin Wilcox really didn't do that much in terms of changing uh, a lot. They stayed in the three-four scheme. That maybe a uh, little bit more. I think some players maybe have said a little bit more tactical uh, and, and let them play a little bit more freely. Uh, but you know, it, uh, really, what they've done is just uh, they've kept the three-four scheme. And you've seen uh, just the players. Like it, it took the spring to kind of just settle in. But there's been no drop-off compared to what Dave Aranda did, who's now at LSU. And again, made bank on a contract after signing. Oh, yeah. Just <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> uh, you know, it, 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 you know, Bill. Like it's a Shane O'Mac money. You know, theme. <laughs> here comes the money, money, money. Yeah, like, yeah, that's what happened uh, for for Aranda and LSU. Good for him. He's a great guy, and oh, he yeah. was one of my favorites to talk to because his X's and O's. He'll talk to you about the X's and O's, uh, and it was a lot of fun there. But uh, you know, Wilcox is a, a great coach too, and you know, he he maximizes his players' strengths. He's not going to make them do anything that they're not uh, that they're not uh, good at. Uh, also, the secondary is really overachieved this year, and it's they lost three seniors. Uh, you know, Tanner McAvoy, who's now a wide receiver for the Seattle Seahawks. Woo! Uh, yeah, yep, I know, I, I know you, Nick. I knew that. <laughs> uh, you have the fact that this, uh, you know, Michael Caputo, who was with the uh, Saints for a time and also for the Rams for a little bit in training camp, and Darius Hillary, who's been bouncing between the Bengals and the Browns, you know, they all left because uh, they exhausted their eligibility. And Sojourn Shelton was the only one that really, you know, that was returning as a starter, though all of them had some former game experience. Derek Tyndall was their nickelback and, and sometimes a starter, uh, you know, uh, at times last year. You had uh, another, you know, the safeties, Leo Musso had played in, I think, over 30 some odd games. Heading into the into the season too as a reserve safety, Dakota Dixon uh, had some playing time, uh, especially against uh, Alabama last year. Was kind of a baptism by fire for a kid that was supposed to be a line like an inside linebacker pushed back to safety. Uh, and but Jim Leonard, uh, Durante Jones, their secondary coach from last year, left to go to the NFL, and that 
opened the door for Jim Leonard, the former walk-on, All-American, uh, 10-year NFL veteran. Uh, and we interviewed him for the book, by the way. Uh, and he was, you know, and he's also my co-author's, like, best friend and former roommate in college because uh, they played together. So that, that was kind of a nice uh, thing there. But, oh. you know, he was, he was l- beloved by the, these, these players. He, like, they talk about the confidence that they have with him now. They talk about the ability that, uh, you know, kind of just the see ball, get ball mentality. And it's, you know, you take a look at it now. 21 interceptions leads the nation. Uh, and it's, I think, the most since 2002. They had 22 interceptions in 2002 when Jim Leonard was a freshman and led the nation with 11 interceptions. So it's not a coincidence that, that you know, he, he brings an easy style to coach. Uh, the players respect him and love him. And it's, you know, up and down that defense uh, and, and maybe another part uh, with it, you know, the linebackers make all the plays, you know, you'll, you'll see, you know, TJ Edwards, the inside linebacker leads the team again in tackles, but you know, before he was injured, Jack Sitchie was in that mark, was in that, uh, you know, role. Uh, and the, one, you know, two things, the defensive line's very underrated. Uh, Chikwe Obashi, Alec James, Connor Sheehy, and now our returning Olive Sagapolo, the latter who's 340 pounds is their anchor at nose tackle uh, and is very athletic for that frame. And he just does, uh, you know, his return against Minnesota was huge last week. So, uh, you know, they, they plug those holes like that, like you do in a three, four defense. And those linebackers have made plays all year. And even with the injuries at inside linebacker with Chris Orr going down in the first offensive play against the LSU Tigers uh, and also Jack Sitchie going down uh, after Iowa, with a torn pectoral muscle or torn shoulder, you're looking at the fact that like Ryan Conley and Leon Jacobs have stepped up huge and Ryan Conley uh, and, and you guys probably, you know, kind of a running theme here uh, when you talk about the simple fact of, you know, Jack Sitchie being a former walk-on Jim Leonard, former walk-on Ryan Conley is what you call a glue guy. And it's one of those glue in the foundation where, Hey, you know, Chris Orzak scholarship player and he goes out Conley against LSU had seven tackles. Uh, including a huge third down stop on a screen pass in the fourth quarter to stop Leonard Fournette, uh, where he he stopped the block on, or he uh, is it Ethan Posick, that that All American center, uh, he stopped the block there. He eluded it and tackled Fournette for what could have been a huge gain and, and a potential game changer uh, against Nebraska. He's a co or maybe co defensive player of the week. Uh, Eleven tackles, a couple for loss. Uh, combined him and Jacobs combined for 22 tackles and this next man up mentality that you've seen with this team uh, through injuries, you know, Natrell Jamerson, their nickelback out for what, four to six weeks due to a, you know, a left leg injury. Uh, Lou Bern Figaro, who last year was just lost all his confidence, was a safety got, uh, starting safety in 2014, lost uh, his starting job. And <clears throat> I mean, this, He's rebounded this year to be their, their nickelback. So there's a really a, like this next man up mentality. So that there's that talent there, but just no one's dropping the ball. No one's dropping their assignments. And everyone wants to continue that success of the defense. So <clears throat> it's been impressive to, to watch, to say the least. Well, after hearing all that, I'm pretty sure the answer to this next question is no. And there is no way to do it because that defense has been incredible and just hearing about, I mean, I had no idea about how many guys just wow. I'll sum that up with wow. Um, 
if you have time for just like one more yeah. question before your prediction. Yeah, you got it. So thinking about um, the Michigan game, thinking about the Ohio State game, what kind of went wrong for Wisconsin in those games? What is the formula for beating this Badger team? I, I think you saw it against Minnesota a little bit where Minnesota was able to run the ball. They had 100 and, was it 115 yards rushing where you've, they've been a little bit more susceptible against the, the draw like, and against Illinois, um, despite the stats and the lopsided score. Uh, the draws really um, could hurt the Badgers here and there. Um, I mean, I would say, I mean, and they, they've bottled up the rush defenses, but they've had times where they've lapsed. And, and especially that first half against Minnesota, they did. Um, but, I mean, if you can run the ball against Wisconsin, that's where they'll, you know, that bad things could happen. You saw it in that first half against Minnesota. But even when that's secondary, and they've only given up, if I'm not mistaken, eight touchdowns this season through the air. Um, you know, they've had some big plays against Purdue. They gave up a 48 and 75 yard, uh, you know, pass uh, the ladder for the for a score in the second quarter. You had the simple fact that, that uh, you know, their game winning touchdowns against or their game losing touchdowns against Ohio State. Uh, JT Barrett had a touchdown uh, there. Uh, Derek Tindall was also uh, gave up a the game-winning score against Michigan in a 14-7 game. Now, um, you're being nitpicky, but they all, they've had a couple of times where they've maybe lost, you know, they've given up a bigger play uh, on that. So, I mean, in, if I'm Penn State, I'm thinking, you try to establish that run game with with Barkley, you know, uh, was it the Offensive Player of the Year, if I'm not mistaken, that was just yes, crowned sir. a yep. little earlier today? So, you know, you try to establish the run game there and also the, with the other backs that Penn State has. Get them going. And then... Uh, you know, with with McMissorley, uh, he may have a good chance to to pass the ball around. We'll see how Wisconsin's defense they can get pressure on McSorley. If they don't, uh, you know, they with against mobile quarterbacks like JT Barrett uh, specifically, but uh, also Mitch Leitner. You know, yeah, they got burned on some read option looks. And Soldier and Shelton mentioned during player availability on Monday about that read option and, and, and just what he brings to the table. And there's a lot of respect for McSorley who leads the conference in passing efficiency. And if I'm not mistaken, leads the nation in, in pass, you know, completions, was it, like yards per completion. So, um, you know, you have this where McSorley, they're going to respect them, but they need to collapse that pocket, but also like make sure that McSorley doesn't step up much where, you know, he could start scrambling. You're going to need guys like Segapolu and, and Sheehy to, that are the nose tackers to really, you know, stop and contain McSorley. And, you know, I, I think if I'm Penn State, you try to establish that run game, uh, but they'll have some opportunities in that passing game to make, uh, to, to make something happen. And if, you know, the defense and secondary, which has done its job, uh, you know, there may be some times where the pass rush gets too aggressive McSorley may have an open lane and, and some containment might be broken. So, uh, I mean, if, if I'm Penn State, I try that. Again, you know, with uh, with the defense for Penn State, you know, I just tell them, you know, you, you, try, you contain that run game for Wisconsin and, and that jet sweep that Wisconsin's used very well this uh, season. Uh, and you, basically, if you take out the run game, you try to make Wisconsin beat you through the air and you, you see the passing the passing yards per game aren't they aren't that impressive you know the the, the in terms of overall statistics yards per game and whatnot though they are 12th in the s p plus rank, rankings but um if they can make them one-dimensional that's only going to help penn state's case and i know penn state has what 33 sacks coming in uh to this game so it's 
Um, I think that's one big thing that, or those are the things in my opinion that uh, could make a huge difference if you're Penn State. Just try to run the ball, uh, utilize McSorley's ability, and let that defense, you know, try try to make them beat you through the air because Wisconsin leads the nation in time of possession. If they get the rushing yards going, if they get uh, if they get that ground game going, uh, it could be a long day for the Nittany, Nittany Lions just based on the fact that uh, Wisconsin, you know, they'll turn it out. Corey Clements only got 4.2 yards per carry this year, but they continually pound the ball, and they have three running backs to do it. Uh, and that jet sweep, uh, the jazz sweep, if they call it with jazz PV. <laughs> no, I know, right? They, they like the puns. Uh, and that's, that's what Corey Clement told me earlier, uh, actually yesterday. So, um, But, yeah, it's going to be intriguing. I think one more key statistic, you're looking at the fact that Wisconsin only gives up 27% of third-down conversions for their opponents. I know Penn State has only converted 32% of theirs, which is third-worst in the conference. If Wisconsin can hold the big plays on first and second down and make Penn State uh, into third and longs, I think it could be a really long day uh, for the for their offense. Then again, Wisconsin... Uh, you know they they're gonna have to take on a, a, some great skill uh, players for for the Nittany Lions and uh, it's gonna be a great game. I'm excited to watch it. Absolutely. So, so I, uh, I oh, think God. I think it's about that time where you get a score prediction. Yeah, right now um, I'm going 23-21 Wisconsin. I know. Think if I'm not mistaken, the last time I checked it was like a two point um, something like that. Yes, around two point for Wisconsin. I it's hard. You know we've doubted this team in the past this season where. Uh, you looked at, uh, you know, going against Michigan State, going against LSU. You're like, you didn't know what this team was made of. And there's an intangible there of, of the players playing for each other. Uh, they're playing to have fun, which has been some of the message this year. And, uh, you know, they play for each other, which is – and you see that with just the way they interact with each other uh, and when you're doing player availability and them joking around. Uh, and so, it, but going against Penn State, I mean, they're going to have to, like I said, just on defense, they need to really just uh, contain McSorley. They need to contain that run game uh, and see what, what they can do and, and make them one-dimensional. If they can get some pressure and make the quarterback uncomfortable, that's only going to lead to good things, and that's what's led to 11 interceptions in three games. Um, and, it, you know, it's... I think they'll be able to do that to an extent. I think there'll be some adjustments they'll have to make. I think Penn State could get up early. Uh, and if they do, Wisconsin, they know how to adjust well, uh, as you saw again in the Minnesota game. So uh, it's, I think that's the key there. I think they'll be able to. I think Wisconsin's, I think for the time possession, Penn State gives up, what, around 150 yards per game on the ground. I think if they continue this progression where this run game's Five out of the last seven games, they've rushed for over 200 yards. It would have been six if their last offensive series against Northwestern, they didn't try to uh, muck up a, you know, like a time of possession to try to run out the clock by rushing for negative 40 yards, uh, which was, yeah, it, was in, it, was, it wasn't great. I was kind of st- scratching my head throughout the process, but uh, I am not a football coach, so I don't know what, uh, <laughs> what was that about. Uh, so uh, basically they could have been six out of seven games where they rushed for over 200 yards. If that ground game gets going, and I think it could, and I think with PV, and even they've run the jet sweep with with Clement, uh, a couple other wide receivers, it could be, you know, that could really break it open and also keep the inside zone run game uh, working, which they play off of that. So, um, but I think it's going to be close. I think there's a lot on the line. Obviously, it's a trip to probably Pasadena. It's a trip possibly to a college football playoff berth if you know, some pieces fall in place with Clemson or Washington or both losing. 
Uh, and so I think, I think both teams, I think, you know, there's reasons why Paul, Chris and James Franklin were both named coaches of the year and they have their teams pre- prepared. And uh, I, I think it's going to be a fun battle to watch. And I, I think Wisconsin maybe just squeaks it out in the end. I think it's 23, 21. Uh, but I, I'm not, like I said, I'm not surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if Penn state pulls off the win as well. Yeah. Well, Jake, although we've come to the end of the road, still, I can't let go <laughs> because you got a book to plug my friend. <laughs> I, no, I appreciate that, guys. I uh, was really fortunate for Bucky's fifth quarter back about three years ago. I wrote a long-form article about the walk-on tradition at Wisconsin. It is, if you take a look since 1990, uh, dozens upon dozens of former uh, walk-ons, those that come to Wisconsin without a scholarship, uh, have become letter winners. You've seen players earn scholarships. You've seen them become team captains. And they've become, you know, they've gone to the NFL. J.J. Watt, Mark Tosher, Jim Leonard, uh, Chris Maragos, who's playing for the Eagles right now. Former Seahawk. Yep, former Seahawk. And, yeah, uh, and we've interviewed him. Great guy. Uh, and, and he, you know, these these players, uh, there's a wall inside Camp Randall. And this is one thing with the book. I wish I could have, like, emphasized it more. We had one player talk about that wall. But there's a wall that dedicated to the walk-ons. And so I wanted to, I wanted to talk about it. And we, we talked with, you know, Brett Bielma and Gary Anderson before he – bolted uh three years ago and all that stuff uh wrote it and then a former walk-on by the name of joel nellis talked to me and said hey i would love love to write a book with you and i at first i was like man this took me four or five months i was a part-time writer still very green and i had twins on the way i was like well let's just you know let's hold off just a little bit uh and once my brain finally started functioning after uh going and uh you know about it was a june of last year we really started hitting it hard over 120, 130 interviews, 98 people we talked to for the book, uh, hundreds of hours of research, uh, and and tons of hours of just interviews. Uh, and the book's just about this walk-on tradition where, you know, uh, Nebraska, uh, Wisconsin, uh, Kansas State, uh, how the, you know, basically this how Wisconsin's walk-on tradition has helped be one of the pillars of success uh, for, since, from 1990 on, since Barry Alvarez took over the program. And so... Uh, it's really great. It's on, uh, it's on KCISports.com. It's on Amazon.com, too. It's called Walk On This Way, the ongoing tradition of the Wisconsin football walk-on. No, the ongoing legacy of the – see, this is what happens when you're, like, you're tired and you're sleep-deprived. <laughs> Hold on. I'm a great author. Uh, Walk On This Way, the, on, uh, the le- yeah, uh, ongoing legacy uh, of the Wisconsin football walk-on tradition. There we go. It's a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so no, it's available uh, in Wisconsin. It's available in some limited bookstores, university bookstores, name of the game, Bucky's Locker Room. Uh, online, it's on it's kcisports.com. And a cool thing, we actually partnered with the J.J. Watt Foundation on this, where uh, if you type in the code J.J. Watt, all capital letters, uh, you get 20% off. Oh, and it's, cool. it's on, yeah, $24.95, you get 20% off, so it's right around 20 bucks. But on top of that, for every book that's sold using that promo code, and it, it's only with the promo code, five bucks goes to the J.J. Watt Foundation, too. And, and if you guys don't know what the J.J. Watt Foundation is, J.J. Uh, Watt founded this even when he was still in school in Wisconsin. It helps middle school programs uh, and some high school programs, too, from what I've seen across the nation, uh, you know, like just to, that are underfunded. They get these requests. They've donated over 2.3, almost, I think, right around, yeah, 2.3 and more million dollars uh, so far in, in his tenure. And the, in just alone, they raised about $2 million 
uh, just under two million dollars this past May in uh, Houston for his charity softball classic and uh it's been great partnering with them on that so hey go to kci sports.com and you know not just read a good book uh which i and grand i'm biased let me just say that uh, but <laughs> i would hope so but yeah but you're also you know you're really helping a great cause and, and you know this is uh we love telling the story it's been a humbling experience you know you have your highs and the lows as a writer uh and you know a lot that went into it uh, we're really happy with the final product, and, and we hope we've told the walk-on tradition, uh, you know, to accurately. We hope that we've given the players the proper due. And uh, no, thanks for letting me plug it. And uh, we actually have a book signing tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow in Milwaukee, and uh, I'm actually going to be on uh, BTN Live hopefully tomorrow uh, to plug the book too. So it's uh, it's going to be kind of crazy. Tomorrow as in Thursday, correct? Yes, tomorrow. As All in Thursday. right. So if you are listening to this, make sure you check out btn live make sure you get the book we'll make sure to drop a link uh somewhere in the post for this podcast and of course make sure you get over to bucky's fifth quarter check out what they're doing over there and check out all the good work being done by our friend jake kokorowski jake thank you so much for being on hey th- guys enjoy the game my pleasure talking with you guys hope to talk to you guys soon right back at you my man later jake all right, so yeah, uh, Jake has split, so now it's just Nick and I. And uh, Nick, do you uh, you want to talk about this game a little bit? I do because there are some really interesting things that I've noticed in the numbers for both of these teams. So yeah, I, let's talk about it. I agree. Uh, you you go ahead. I want to hear what uh want to hear what you think. Well, one of the first things that just looking over the S and P that I see, um, basically, the story of this game seems to be that it's a outstanding Wisconsin defense and a slightly above average Wisconsin offense against a great Penn State defense and great Penn State offense. So it's kind of that yeah. balance of or do you, it's kind of the balance of Penn State is kind of the team that's more well-rounded uh like when you look at the whole thing, but yeah. Wisconsin is Wisconsin's the only one of the two that does something like at a truly truly elite level. Yeah. I, the the crazy thing is that if you're just looking at offenses and defenses, Wisconsin has the best unit in this game in its defense, but it also has the worst unit in its game in its offense. So, like, yeah. I think that I don't think it's much of a stretch to say that if Wisconsin's defense plays a little, uh, Wisconsin's offense plays a little bit better than. Or when it comes to like putting up points, then we probably expect they're going to win this game. But if Penn State is able to get some points on the Wisconsin defense, the Wisconsin defense plays a little bit worse than expected. Penn State's chances of winning this game is really good. So a question for you, and then I'll, I'll answer it. We'll just have a little back and forth on this. What do you think is more likely to happen? Wisconsin's defense play. Uh, gets hit in the mouth and doesn't play like Wisconsin's defense or Wisconsin's offense comes out with its hair on fire and is able to do some things against the Penn State defense. I I don't think I don't foresee the offense coming out with its hair on fire. Okay. The only way I see that happening is if <clears throat> is if I don't know, some combination of the quarterbacks kind of brings a new and i mean they've both been playing so this really isn't likely 
in all likelihood, but some combination of those guys just kind of bring something that they haven't really shown on tape to this point. But from what I've seen from Wisconsin, I mean, the offense can the offense can be fine. It can be solid. It if Hornerbrook is on, it's it's pretty good. Corey Clements obviously been pretty good this year, but they don't really seem like an offense to me that's going to come out and necessarily surprise a defense like Penn State's, which hasn't been Wisconsin level, but it's still been very good. Yeah, and that's something that I've been like thinking about with this game, like. When you're going into a conference championship game, everything that you do is on tape. Everything that you do, everything that you will run throughout the course of the season is on tape. So you probably need to have a few wrinkles that the other team just doesn't see coming. And with Wisconsin, the best thing about it, the thing that has made it so good for so many years, is its continuity. It plays football the same way. Very fundamentally sound, very physical on defense, uh, very much able to cause raise some hell. And we'll talk about this in one second because there's one stat in this game for Wisconsin that really terrifies me. On offense, you're going to run the ball. You're going to make smart passes. You're not going to try and get everything with one uh, throw down the field. I think Wisconsin, I can't foresee them coming out and doing anything too shocking. On the other side, I can see Penn State trying to throw a couple of wrinkles and trying to throw a couple of things that we haven't really seen at Wisconsin. Whether or not it works, I don't know, but I think those, uh, those couple of wrinkles, those different things that we haven't really seen out of Penn State this year, that maybe James Franklin and Joe Moorhead have been keeping on those back two pages of the offensive playbook are the things that we can see maybe break this game open a little bit for Penn State against a really good Wisconsin defense. Looking at the Badgers, what is the thing that scares you the most? Um, hmm. I mean, <clears throat> the defense in general, obviously, is pretty scary. Yep. The fact that they're one of the best in the country at um, keeping teams from finishing drives is definitely scary because Penn State has shown that especially early in the game that's definitely not one of their strengths but I think one of the things that really stands out to me personally is that Wisconsin has been a very good first half team and the con- and their defense has been outstanding throughout the whole game they're by quarter their defensive rankings go 12 21 8 and 11 but Offensively in the first half, first quarter, their S&P, they're ranked 20th. Second quarter, S&P, they're ranked 12th. In the second half, it jumps up to 54 and 52. But I don't think that's a great thing for Penn State because we know that Penn State has been ex- has been the best fourth quarter team in the country, been one of the best second half teams. But if Wisconsin is able to build any sort of lead in the first half, Penn State will not have an easy time fighting their way back in the second half like they've been accustomed to doing because that defense doesn't get any worse. Like that defense yeah. stays nasty the entire game. So I it's that is a little concerning for me. And then the other thing just their overall havoc rate as a team yep. ranked number 8 in the country. Yeah, there's really interesting part about though is though is that the defensive line is ranked 120th. Yeah. yeah. All the havoc comes from their linebackers and defensive backs which I think I 
I I'll wait save this for kind of the more positive outlook. Um, but I think that could actually lead to an advantage for Penn State in a way. Yeah. But that havoc rate definitely um, kind of feeds into those insane interception numbers they have as well. Because obviously when you're pass when you're getting rushed, you're going to throw more interceptions. So yeah, I'd say the that havoc rate and that the first first half success they've had are definitely scary as yeah. a Penn State fan. They can set the tempo early with how good they are in the first half and that havoc rate uh just to clarify that's uh bill Connolly's statistic that is total tackles for loss passes defended and forced fumbles divided by total plays so wisconsin's linebackers and defensive backs are getting into the backfield they're defending passes they're forcing fumbles and they're doing it at a rate that is just astounding. They, their defensive backs are fourth in defensive back havoc rate. Their linebackers are fifth in defensive back havoc rate. And since Nick took my talking point, I'm going to take what is probably his. And that is that Penn State's offense, this is something that it could possibly take advantage of. If Wisconsin is bringing the pressure from its linebackers and its defensive backs, that's going to create opportunities for Chris Godwin, for Saeed Blacknell, Deshaun Hamilton, Mike Gusecki, Saquon Barkley in the passing game. And if there's one thing that Trace McSorley has been really good at this year, it's been identifying where he's going to have these one-on-one matchups between one of his ultra-talented uh, dudes in the receiving game and just chucking the ball in their direction and letting them go get it because they are really good at doing that. If Wisconsin really starts dialing up the pressure... From their, from their back seven, I think Penn State can take advantage of this. And of course, this gets to the opportunity, and this could be one of those weird games where Penn State's passing game opens things up for Saquon Barkley in the running game because all of a sudden Wisconsin has to start respecting what McSorley could do and dropping dudes back in coverage and freeing up you know, the three, four, five, six yards in front of the line of scrimmage for Barkley to take advantage. And even in the running game, if they're bringing the pressure and they put, have running plays designed to beat the blitz, Saquon could be running for a long, long time if they make the right call. So that's... We, I, should, we, should, all, we should also mention, though, that on on the to- talking point of that defensive line havoc rate being so low and the linebackers being so high, obviously this doesn't account for the defensive back havoc rate, which is absurd. Yeah. But, um, the fact that Wisconsin does play a 3-4... A yes. lot of a lot of time they will have one of those linebackers that it's basically playing as a defensive end, not lining up with his hand in the dirt, but he's kinda of, usually they'll probably have someone lining up on the line. So that does play a factor also. So like a guy like TJ Watt is getting a lot of those sacks playing from a kind of a hybrid defensive end position. But um yeah, that doesn't explain the defensive back rate, which no. is but, absurd. well, I mean uh, I'm I'm going through, and they have guys like Derek Tindall, who has uh, 11 pass breakups in the year, and Sojourn Shelton, who has 12 pass breakups on the year, and Lou. Oh God, we should have asked Jake how to pronounce this. I'm going to say Lou Bern Figaro, a safety, uh, and I understand. Figaro, Figaro, Figaro. I was going to say that that makes me sound like a stereotypical cop in every teen drama. Uh, he has seven pass breakups. This secondary is really good at breaking up passes. Of course. Um, if Penn State gets, you know, the six foot six, two hundred and fifty pound Mike Gusecki on Sojourn Shelton, who is very good, but is five nine, one hundred and sixty eight, 
I pray that sit, that Trace is just going to say, okay, so here's what we're going to do. Everyone go to that side of the field except for you, Mike, and I'm just going to throw it in your direction and see what happens. But neither here nor there. Looking at this Wisconsin team, Nick, what do you think Penn State needs to do to win this game? I think they need to do something they haven't been able to do in the last two weeks and could be even more difficult given his current situation. Um, but that is run the ball effectively. Run the bad ball! If, yeah, exactly. I think if, if Saquon can get going, I mean, really, this is the key to success for every Penn State football game, but if they can get Saquon going, then, I mean, obviously, that just opens everything up. That opens up to the play action. That gives McSorley a chance to throw deep. Even on a defense as good as as Wisconsin's, they're going to devote some extra resources to stopping Barkley if they have to. Yeah. Now that run, obviously that run game has been a little more difficult to get off the ground in recent weeks with um, Bates kicking out to left tackle and missing Brendan Mann. Um, Connor McGovern was out for a game back now, so hopefully that'll improve on that side. Steven Gonzalez played better last week. To to his credit. He has been a perfectly solid left guard, although, of course, he's a dude who has barely played football. So, Yeah, I, and I think the fact that, that McGovern as a true freshman has been so great and Bates as a redshirt freshman has been so great maybe has led some people to be a little a little hard on Gonzalez because he's a redshirt freshman too, but yep. not all redshirt freshmen are created equal. So. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm I'm going to agree. Uh, run the football, get things going there, and I think it's also pretty important that Penn State doesn't really let. And th- this is something I was trying to harp on with Jake. I was really surprised when I saw that Wisconsin was 12th in passing S and P plus on the offensive side of the ball. I think mm-hmm. Alex Hornibrook and Bart Houston are both guys that one you can get to. And two, are capable of making mistakes if you make them make mistakes. I mean, Alex Hornibrook is a true freshman who, while he, don't get me wrong, he has been great this year. Like, relatively speaking, like, he, you know, he hasn't put up, you know, the numbers that McSorley has put up. But for a true freshman to just take that job from a guy who has been there and to start on the road at Michigan State, which, again, we know what Michigan State is, that's still at the time, was a pretty big win for them. Go to Michigan, 14-7. to Don't You're not going to win that game, but he battled all four quarters. Uh, taking it to Ohio State in his own building, beating Iowa on the road. This is a dude who has, and I hate to say this for a quarterback who doesn't play for Penn State, this dude has a little moxie about him. And if Penn State is able to rattle him, if Penn State's defensive line and linebackers are able to make him know that they're there. And if Penn State's secondary can maybe force an easy an early turnover or something, and they have to go to Bart Houston, and then Penn State's also able to get to Bart Houston, that is the best possible thing that can happen for Penn State. Uh, whether or not that happens, I'm not sure. Penn State's also going to need to look out for Jazz PV, uh, a wide receiver who is using the running game a little bit for, uh, for Wisconsin. He has 17 carries on the year, but... You know, I, I think the big thing, don't let this passing game get going so you can really key in on the running game and stop the 
three or four dudes that Wisconsin likes to throw out there. Speaking of throwing things out there, yeah. Nick, would you like to throw a score out there? Yes. I Okay, so I think this is arguably one of the most evenly aside from maybe Ohio State, Michigan, arguably one of those most even matched games of the entire college football season this year. Yeah, which is weird because these teams are both different in just how they do things. Like it's two different styles going up against one another and they're still yeah. very evil match. It's aw- this is like this is one of those things that reminds you that college football is so cool. You can have two teams that play completely different and still be so even. It's awesome. Yeah. This is going to be an excellent football game. Yeah. I'm I'm could not be more excited to watch this. And I know um, obviously I'll be a nervous wreck beforehand, but once and and during and probably after, but once I'm able to get past all that, I'm gonna really enjoy going back to going back and watching this game because I this is gonna be a really good football game. I okay, so I'm I'm not going to start doubting what I have seen from the Penn State offense over the last however many games now. Uh, this time I'm not. They have shown me enough that I feel like I can believe in the defense to hold down the Wisconsin offense enough. And I can believe in the combination of Saquon Barkley and Andre Robinson and Mark Allen and Miles Sanders to get enough going on the ground to open things up for the passing game that I think Penn State ultimately wins this game 27-20. I think parts of it will not be pretty. I think the first half will have Penn State fans very, very nervous. I could easily see Wisconsin going into the half with something like a 14-3 lead or even something like 17-7, something like that. Uh, but I, it's to the point where I pretty much trust this Penn State coaching staff and I trust the players to get themselves right at halftime. And whatever that adjustment ends up needing to be, I'm to the point where I... I trust I trust these guys to do what they need to do to win. They've shown that they've proven that against uh, team not teams not on the same level as as a uh, Wisconsin. They've proven that against teams at their level like Ohio State. Obviously, it was a very different game, but still, Penn State showed a lot in that second half. So, yeah, I I'm gonna I'm gonna trust these guys. I'm gonna say Penn State pulls it out. So I'm going to take a bit of a cop out here. I think this game ends 24 to 23. I just don't mm. know which team is on which side of that. Like like you said, these teams are so evenly matched up that this game's going to be close throughout. I, I when you said 17 to 7 at the half potentially I went, yeah, that makes sense, but then I went, wait, I don't think one team leads by 10 points at any time. I think this is just a close physical, bare-knuckle brawl of a football game. Give me 24-23. I will say Penn State, but between now and kickoff, I will change my mind on this 5,000 times. These teams are – this is just such a perfect – well, no, the perfect matchup, of course, is Ohio State and Michigan. Uh, And I say this because I watch ESPN every day, and they have led me to believe that the perfect matchup is Ohio State and Michigan. (laughs) But over the last – over the course of this college football season, 
if you had to say what is the one East versus West matchup that you want to see above everything else, we got Ohio State, Wisconsin. We got uh, Michigan, Wisconsin. We did not get Penn State, Wisconsin. And the fact that we are finally getting it is going to be so, so great. And there's a chance that Penn State beats a former Pitt coach, so that would be nice. Uh, let's end this episode of the pod by looking at uh, the various conference title games uh, around college football and what needs to happen for them to impact Penn State's chances at making the playoff. Uh, I want to start with an easy one first. Uh, that's the Big 12. I know it doesn't have a title game because the people in charge of the Big 12 are the dumbest people on earth. Uh, but Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, is it, it's a title game. Um, I can't see this impacting Penn State in any way unless Oklahoma State wins and then after uh, Central Michigan says, yeah, we actually will forfeit the win that we had over them and let them take that as a win so they can be 10-1. Like, outside <laughs> of that happening, like I just can't see anything happening in this game to change things up. Yeah, when the committee put Colorado ahead of both Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, they pretty much signaled that yep. the Big 12 is out. Yeah. The only way it could affect Penn State is if, if Penn State loses this game, then obviously the winner of that de facto Big 12 championship game could end up could potentially bump Penn State out of a bowl here or I there. Think, but, is, um, does the does the Big 12 have an orange bowl tie-in? Like, I will, um, I will Google it. I don't think they... They do, but I know the Big 12 is like some real, uh, the Orange Bowl is some really funky tie-in. Uh, ACC number one versus SEC number two, Big 10 number two, or Notre Dame who won't make it because they went four and eight. Uh, but yeah, I don't, yeah, they can, uh, I don't think they can do that. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. It will, I, yeah, I don't. I don't care much about that game. I mean, I guess I kind of want to watch Baker again, but yeah, ba- ba- Baker Mayfield's that, fun. Like Baker Mayfield does this thing where he just likes to, you know, throw the ball everywhere and rack up a bunch of yards. And it's and, fun. And Oklahoma doesn't care about defense. It's everything that is weird about college football in one team. And of course, we love you, Gino. Uh, make sure you rock yeah, on. Sam, maybe, maybe rock on, maybe Gino, Smith. Smith. Gino Smith. Gino Smith. Gino Lewis. Blah. Sorry. But Geno Smith, you rock on too, but yeah, yeah. Geno Smith, I whatever whatever you're up to. Like I've I don't care about the NFL that much anymore. Uh, next up, the this one will be fun because you'll get to see Nick and I laugh. Uh, Alabama versus Florida. Nick, how can this game impact Penn State's ability to make the college football playoff? Well, you know, if future Oregon head coach Jim McElwain is able to make some noise in this one, no, it's just not going to no. do anything. Yeah, I was going to say he's going to struggle uh, taking down future Oregon head coach Wayne Kiffin's offense. So, uh, yeah, I mean, even if Florida wins this game, Alabama's not missing the playoff. Unless Florida wins like 600 to nothing and everyone on Alabama gets hurt and or arrested or and or like abducted by an alien, like. Not, Alabama is not missing the playoff no matter what happens in this game. Uh, but a game that could be a bit interesting. Clemson. Wait, I got it. I got it. Ready? Uh, uh, uh. Oh, wait. Sorry. That's not this week. Damn it, Nick. <laughs> yeah, Pat Narduzzi will be at Pitt by next week. Book it. Uh, yeah. A game that... Purdue. Purdue. Yeah. He's leaving Pitt. Sorry. Uh, yeah, a game that is actually pretty interesting. 
Uh, I think these two teams match up. Um, I don't want to say well per se, but I think that when you look at these two teams, it's not as one-sided of a championship game as you would think. And that's the ACC title game, Clemson against a Virginia Tech team that when Tech has been on their game, especially on offense, this team can put up some points on people. If there's one issue that we've really seen with Clemson, it's that every once in a while it gets into a game where it allows too many points. Louisville hung 36 on them. Florida State hung 34 on them. Pitt hung 43 on them. Uh, yeah, like, it can get kind of hairy. I don't think Virginia Tech wins this game. I wouldn't be surprised if Gerard Evans maybe has a good game and puts a bit of a scare into Clemson. But if Clemson loses this game, this is one of the two games we'll talk about. But the door is then wide open for Penn State. It is wide open. And if Penn State wins, it's very, I don't want to say probably because the committee loves Michigan, but it's very possibly in the playoff. Yeah, I mean, this I if I'm a Clemson fan, I'm pretty terrified yeah, about this game. Definitely. Like Virgin, Virginia Tech, I know they it hasn't been the smoothest sailing this season, but anytime you're going up against a uh, quarterback like Gerard Evans in a big game, obviously Clemson has their own Gerard Evans, a better version of Gerard Evans in Deshaun Watson, but it it's not an easy matchup. Like Virginia not Tech is not an easy out. They're not going to have an easy time with this team. So I, man, I don't, I don't know if I can go so far as to predict Virginia Tech's going to win this game. Yeah, I, I'm but there. It's, it's going to be a fight. Yeah. I, I mean, the thing that makes Virginia Tech so interesting is that when they've shown flashes of being good, they look really good. Again, like we've sung the praises of Evans a bit on this podcast, but his receiving core, Isaiah Ford is a monster. Not enough people know about how good this dude is, but he is one of the 10 best receivers in college football for my money. Cam Phillips is not as good as Ford, but the dude can get the job done. Bucky Hodges is a six foot seven tight end who, if you throw the ball in his general direction and he's able to use his very long limbs to go get it, he can go get the ball. Again, I, I'm with you, Nick. I think Clemson ends up winning this game, but it's going to be a fight. Like, I would not be surprised if we're scoreboard watching in the fourth quarter because Virginia Tech is within like 10 or something. So that this will be a really fun game. And then, of course, the, the big game for Penn State. Uh, of course, I am talking about Baylor going to West Virginia. Um, ah, which, yes. Yes, uh, obviously, because odds are Dana Holgerson is going to be taking another job sometime soon. Maybe, possibly, I don't know. But in all seriousness, Navy Temple. Um, actually, <laughs> shit, that's going to be a real good game. Uh, we're talking about Colorado-Washington. That game is going to be awesome. Washington, I, I am of the belief that Washington, they entered this, this season a little bit underrated. Like, they were one of those teams that every college football writer was basically going, yo, Washington's going to be really, really good. And then everyone just kind of went, oh, okay. And then they smash Rutgers, they smash Idaho, they smash Portland State, and everyone's still going, uh, okay. Then in midseason, they beat the hell out of Stanford. 
They hung 17 on Oregon and Eugene. And all of a sudden, everybody is going, wait a minute, this team may be maybe one of the two or three best teams in the country, which overrated them a little bit. And now it's kind of swung back in the other direction. I think this is a somewhat underrated football team right now. They're number four in the polls. But based on the resume that they have put together, the fact that people are saying, oh, they're right there with Michigan, or Michigan's right there with them, I think that's a bit disrespectful. I think that's something they're going to carry on their shoulders, that, you know, that pretty serious chip. But on the other side, we have the best story, maybe other than Penn State, maybe even better, I don't know, than in Colorado. Predicted to finish last, what Mike McIntyre has done with this team has just been outstanding. Uh, Nick, unplug and replug your mic right quick. Yeah, so what Mike McIntyre has done is coach of the year caliber stuff. They were predicted to come into last in the Pac-12 this year. And now they're right on the verge of playing for a Pac-12 title and playing spoiler for Washington. Nick, this game is going to rule. On Friday night, I'll be in Indianapolis. I'm going to be to a television watching this. What happens in this one? Because I still don't totally know. I, okay, so, yeah, I, yes, this game is going to be incredible. I could not be more excited for this game. I, I think there's a little bit of people getting wrapped up in the story that is Colorado when thinking about this game compared to, uh, I mean, when when people are talking about this game and saying, oh, yeah, Colorado's, because I mean, I've heard a lot of people say Colorado's got it. Like, they're on a roll. They're, they're yeah. going to do this thing. And they could. They very well could. But I think there's a little element of people getting wrapped up in what Colorado's doing and kind of forgetting about how good Washington yep. actually is. Now, granted, Washington has not played a very difficult schedule. By the S&P numbers, uh, their toughest game has been USC, which they lost. They're ranked eighth in S&P right now. Their next toughest game, aside from that, was Stanford, who is ranked 33rd. So it has been a fairly easy walk to their 11-1 and record at this point. However, that, that walk has been filled with some pretty fantastic football on both sides of the ball. Miles Gaskin has been and was outstanding as a freshman running back, has gotten better as a sophomore. Jake Browning has been incredible this year. Over 3,000 yards, a 40-7 yeah. to 7 touchdown to pick ratio. That's insane. The receiving core, John Ross, Dante Ugh. Pettis, Chico McClatcher. It's been awesome. John Ross this team has, is amazing. He yeah, is, and if you have not watched Washington, Jake Browning is great. This defense, as Nick said, is nasty. Miles Gaskin is an incredible running back, but watch for John Ross because this dude can light the world on fire. The crazy thing is that being a Seattle sports fan, most of a good chunk of my Twitter timeline is filled up with uh, Seattle fans and Washington University being, or sorry, University of Washington being in Seattle. A lot of those guys are also Huskies fans. So before the season, there was a lot of criticism surrounding John Ross. A lot of people saying like, oh, like, like sarcastically saying, oh, maybe this will be the year John Ross finally like figures himself out. Like just a lot of people not thinking much of him. Just a lot of people saying that he's potential wasted and just lots of just never going to be what he was supposed to be. 
Ed, and holy crap, has he been great this year. Yep. He is so, fantastic. He's so good. I, as much as it pains me to say, because number one, it'd be really cool to see Colorado win. And no, number two, no, you're obviously. a Wazoo fan, yes. Yes, and I am a Wazoo fan, so I will say. But I, I do not harbor hatred for the University of Washington like like most Washington State fans do. I, I, I may have said it before. Wash, I would have gone to Washington. I would have gone to Washington had they had the teaching programs that I wanted. They only had one. I still don't understand why. I even went back the other day to check, and they still only have one teaching program. So get your act together, Huskies. It was a beautiful campus. I love that place. But <laughs> that being said. <laughs> That being said, as cool as it as cool as it would be for Colorado to win, as much as my Washington State alum mother would love to see the Huskies lose, I I I don't see Washington losing this game. I think yeah. it's close. I think the Colorado defense uh, forces Brownie into a few mistakes. I don't I don't think they let them get rolling to nearly the jury that other teams have, and it, it probably will be another low scoring game like the USC game. But I think Washington just has a little too much firepower and a little too much defensive prowess for Colorado to handle. And Nick and I, we have somehow made it this far without uh, mentioning the name of the incredible Sefo Lufau, who has been, I I believe on uh, the shutdown full cast, Spencer Hall said he's casting a Heisman vote for this dude because he's just been (laughs) awesome this year. Uh, He's, yeah, he's been kind of the heart and soul of this Colorado team. Colorado was taking it to Michigan in Ann Arbor in the third game of the season before Lufau had to leave with, I think, an ankle injury, something like that. But And then got smacked on the sideline, too. Yeah. So they have a quarterback who can keep them in this game. If this game turns into Sefo Lufau against Jake Browning, ooh, that's going to be good. And no matter what, this game is going to be great. I'm with Nick, I think. I think Washington wins. I can imagine this game being something like 42-38. to 38. Like, just high scoring. Both teams putting up points. You know, tensions are high. Just an awesome, awesome football game. Of course, that does not help Penn State. If Washington wins, Penn State's not making the playoff. If Clemson wins, Penn State's not making the playoff. Penn State needs one of those two teams to lose. I don't see it happening. Uh, but like we said earlier in the pod when uh, when Jake was on, the Rose Bowl is not a bad consolation prize. Penn State almost definitely is going to make it to the Rose Bowl. Same with Wisconsin if they end up winning the Big Ten Championship game. And I don't know about you, Nick, but I'm kind of looking forward to this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll say... I. I mean, yeah, like I think Clemson and Washington both win, so let's go to let's go to Pasadena and take yeah. on either Colorado or USC. Why yeah, not? Well, yeah, let's uh let's spend New Year's in Los Angeles. That sounds like a good time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, if you're going to the game, make sure you get in touch uh, with us on uh, Roar Lions Roar. A number of our staff members are going to be there. I'm going. I don't think I think Nick is uh, Nick's probably going to end up going to the bowl game, but he can't make it to this one. Uh, yeah. Should be a great should be a great time. Indianapolis is an awesome, awesome city for a sporting event. Uh, there's a steak and shake. It's garbage, but it's four dollars for a burger that's edible and kind of hey, sizable. So. I, I love that. That's your <laughs> Indianapolis. It's a great place for sporting events. There's a steak and shake. Yeah, I love how that I, listen, is the first. Nick, here's the thing. You have been to New York 
plenty of times. You live in the greater DC area. You should understand better than anyone what how amazing the phrase an edible, sizable $4 cheeseburger in a major metropolitan area is. Uh, I do. I yeah. do. As somebody who has spent $8.50 for a burger at Steak Shack in the National Stadium, I do. Oof. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, if you need me, I will either be at a bar or at the Steak and Shake up until kickoff, in which case I will be at the game. It should be a great time. Uh, hope that you all are able to make it out to Indianapolis. Uh, hope we're all able to celebrate a Nittany Lion win on Saturday. And I hope you all enjoyed this edition of the podcast. Uh, buy some shirts. They're really nice. Buy a hoodie. We have one of those now. Keep reading the site. Keep supporting the site. Uh, comment section was pretty active today, which is always a plus. So we always love hearing what you guys have to think. And we always love engaging with all y'all. Uh, Keep sharing the stuff that we do. Facebook, Roar Lions Roar, Twitter at RLR Blog. Subscribe. And keep coming and keep coming and writing forum posts too. We've yeah. had a few of those. Yeah, we had Devin. I Devin's forum po- forum post, not foreign post, forum post uh, about foreign Trace- forum post. Yes, about uh, Trace McSorley's legs was awesome. So shout out to Devin and any of you. If you ever want to do that, by all means, go for it. We love that stuff. Uh, subscribe iTunes. Leave us a review if you do that. Uh, subscribe to SoundCloud, Google Play. And yeah, just uh, keep supporting the site. We really appreciate it. Again, hope the Nittany Lions are able to give us another reason to cheer this weekend. And we hope you all enjoyed this edition of the pod. For my co-host, Nick Pollock, I am Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye.